Welcome to week five of our summer blockbuster series, Epic Stories from the Bible. And if it's just been for me alone, this series has been fantastic. It's been a great opportunity for me to step back and realize that ultimately all of us have two choices in our lives. The first choice is to chase after the mundane life day in and day out that the majority of the people around us chase after. Or we can recognize that God is inviting us into this opportunity, calling us into this grand epic story and saying that we can be a part of that. So we have that decision to make. And I think as we wrap things up this week by looking at the life of David, that's going to wrap things up really well for us. I do want to tell you this, we are starting, uh, we're taking a look at the story of David and Goliath, which when I first realized that's okay, that's what we're going to be talking about, I was a little bit hesitant, thinking the majority of us probably know this story. But as I spent the last week or two digging into the story, for me, I came across some things that for the first time kind of came to a new light. And, and I don't know if you've ever had a, a moment like that. Like in the movies, you know, there's movies like Sixth Sense or Ocean's Eleven. One of my personal favorites is a movie called The Usual Suspects, where you think you know exactly what it is that's going on, but right towards the end they open up the curtain and you realize you had no idea what it was. Or for some of us, maybe it's in our marriage, right? All of us, we get married and we just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person is going to make us happy every day for the rest of our lives, right? But somehow, one, two, five, seven, ten days into the honeymoon, <laughs> you realize it's going to be a little bit more work than you thought. And you think, you know what, I might actually have to sacrifice some things of myself if this marriage is really going to thrive. Or maybe that's where the tables turn from you. Maybe you're in a place in your life now where you didn't think at this point in your life you would be single. And so maybe you were married and somehow it didn't work out. Or maybe you thought for sure you'd be married by now and you'd have kids and you'd be starting a family, but that's not where you find yourself. If you're a college student, you know we change majors all the time. But I think what we're gonna see when we look at David and Goliath is there are some things that we know to be true, right? Spoiler alert here, if you don't know, there's a big giant and then there's a little underdog and the, under, the seemingly underdog ends up winning. So we know that stuff, but I think there's a twist that if we're not careful, we'll miss. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's in the Old Testament, somewhere in the middle. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the verses up on the side screens here. You can also follow along in the message notes section of the Get Hope app. I'll give you a minute to find it. First Samuel might be hard to find. I'll give you some background on David. I love David, personally. I feel like I connect with David. He's described in the Bible as kind of this warrior poet. You heard a couple weeks ago, I wrestled my entire life, and so I have that competitive side. I also have this weird, artsy, eclectic side. I'm a musician, uh, arguably, and, but people that are close to me know that I have that, and so I try to keep that guarded, but I feel like some of my strengths are similar to David. I feel like some of my liabilities are similar to David. So I love this character, but there's probably more written about him in the Bible than anyone else, so it's probably easier to connect with him, but there's 62 chapters in the Old Testament devoted just to David. And for comparison, Abraham got 14 chapters, Joseph got 14, Elijah and Jacob got 11. And then not only that, there's 59 more references to David in the New Testament. So there's probably a lot that we can learn from David. And to ease everybody's mind, we're not going to try to hit all 62 chapters in the Old Testament. We're just going to camp out in the story of David and Goliath. But before we get there, chapter 17, I want you to hold your place in your Bible and go back one chapter to chapter 16. And this is kind of David's life verse, chapter 16, verse 7. It says, The Lord does not look at the things that human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'll start out just by asking a question. That, that's a problem for us, isn't it? 
I mean, what our tendency is to either be impressed or unimpressed immediately just looking at outward appearances. We look at the externals and we come to a conclusion right away. But for this story to make sense and to come to life, we have to understand this truth in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Because on paper, if you know the story at first glance, Goliath had everything possibly needed to defeat and to intimidate David. But David knew somehow that no matter how big this giant was that he was about to face, he had trust in his God that his God was bigger. And so I just ask you this question, what giants are you facing in your life? I asked our staff, the, the Raleigh team staff here this, weekend, this week on Monday, what was it that you feel like you face in your life that's preventing you from becoming what it is that God created you to be? This is some of the things they said. Illness, doubt, busyness, lack of belief, selfishness, and hopefully this shows you that we're just like you, right? We're not that different. But I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. But whatever that is, I want you to get it to the front of your mind as we go through this story together. So we're going to jump right in. First Samuel chapter 17. It starts out by saying this. Now the Philistines, the Philistines are the bad guys, they gather their forces for war. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Now, what I'm about to do is to impress you with some fantastic artwork here. So check this out. It's really solid. My five-year-old twins would be so proud of me. Um, so here's what we got. We have on this side, of this, so this is the Valley of Eli, which we just talked about, which really is more like a canyon, okay? It's about a mile and a half across. And on this side, you have the Philistines. So we'll put a P up here. You could put a PH, but I think you guys can track along with that. You have the Philistines on that side, the bad guys. And then you have the Israelites over here on this side. And the Israelites are the good guys. There's week two, you learned about Abraham. And so the descendants uh, of Abraham are the Israelites. And week three, when Moses rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, same people. So now they're over here and they're in a war. They're in a battle with the Philistines at this Valley of Elah, but they're in a stalemate. And in verse four, we get introduced to this guy named Goliath. And Goliath is a bit larger than the majority of the other people in the scene. And here's what it says about Goliath. It says that Goliath is six cubits in a span high. And so what that means to do that conversion for you is he was about nine foot, nine inches tall. Okay, the text also tells us about his armor. The Philistines wore heavy, heavy canvas armor from their shoulders all the way down to their knees. And it was made of bronze ringlets. And in verse five, it says that it weighed about 5,000 shekels of bronze. So in case you don't have, in case you have the Get Hope app open and you don't have your shekels of bronze conversion app open, I'll do that conversion for you. That's 175 to 200 pounds just in his armor. And then if that's not enough, it says that he had this guy that ran out in front of him as a shield bearer, which I'm convinced that's one of the worst jobs on the planet. <laughs> You're asking to have low self-esteem. And then it also says that he had a spear with a giant head on it that weighed about 25 pounds. And so that's Goliath. But while they were in this stalemate for what it says about 40 days, Goliath is coming down here in the bottom and he's taunting the Israelites every day, calling them weaklings and sissies and UNC fans. I mean, he's, <laughs> he is just coming after him. But what he's doing is something that was very common in the Eastern world in that day, and which was challenging them to what's called a representative battle. A representative battle is this. One side says, we elect a champion, and this champion is going to represent our entire army. And so we challenge you to give us a representative, and we fight man-to-man, one-on-one, and it's a winner-takes-all for whichever army wins. 
which actually, if you think about it, works out pretty good for the side that wins. But here's what happens in verse 16. It says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So every morning and every evening. And I think that's a good reminder for us that the giants that we have in our lives, whatever it was that came to your mind earlier, giants don't typically show up one time and leave, do they? And they just have a way of showing up in the morning, at night, day after day after day. And for you, that might come in the form of a person, it might come in the form of an addiction might be a fear that paralyzes you. But here's what I want you to hear. Whether you come in here and you would call yourself a Christian or not, I want you to hear two things. The first is this. This is normal. So if you're experiencing this in your life and a giant is showing up over and over again, that's normal. And the second thing I want you to hear is this will happen over and over again until the giant is dealt with. This shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. So that's scene one, okay, the battlefield. Scene two happens over here in a small town about 15 miles away. And so you kind of have this other story as the plot thickens. And so over here in this small town, you have this guy by the name of Jesse, and he has a family. And his family, they have eight sons, which in and of itself could be like an old Israeli reality TV show, like My Eight Sons. But, but it's not. That's not the story. One of Jesse's sons is David, and David is a shepherd, and David takes care of his father's sheep. And so one day, he comes over uh, to, to David, and he says, David, listen, you're, my sons, your brothers— they're over at war, and they've been gone for a long time, and so I want you to go check on them. This is what he says to him in verse 17. As Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit, see how your brothers are, and bring back some assurance to me. So David has no idea what's really going on back at the, back, like back at the battlefield, okay? He doesn't have a smartphone. They didn't have Twitter or Facebook back then, um, most likely Al Gore hadn't even invented the internet. So he has no idea. He's just taking care of his sheep. And his dad says, I want you to go check on your brothers and take these grilled cheese sandwiches and then come back and tell me that everything's okay. And so that scene two, it wraps up there. And then we open up again at scene three at the battlefield. And so David has now traveled 15 miles and he shows up at the battlefield and he probably expects to see what you or I would expect to see at a battlefield, a battle going on. Like spears going back and forth, people hitting each other with swords, but he doesn't. When he gets here, he just sees a stalemate. Philistines on one side, Israelites on the other. And so I believe he probably starts walking through the Israelite camp, and he's asking some questions. And over time, he starts to hear people talking about this guy, Goliath. He starts to hear fear in people's voices. And I imagine at some point, David says, what's the big deal with this guy, Goliath? Why is everybody talking about him? Which no doubt the Israelite response is, the big deal with this guy, Goliath, is Goliath. Okay, he's nine foot nine. His armor weighs more than you weigh. He's got a guy that runs out in front of him with a shield. He has this big, huge spear with a head on it that's heavier than anything we would want to carry, much less fight with. And on top of that, for 40 days, he's been coming down into the bottom of this canyon, challenging us to a representative battle that none of us really want to jump in and fight. And so that's the big deal. That's what's going on. And so if you're anything like David, which I told you I think I am, David gets curious. Now, I don't know if it's a, I want to size him up a little bit, but there's some element of I got to see this guy. And so the next morning, just like our giants always do, Goliath shows up. And David, for the first time, hears him taunting Israel. And this is what it says in verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. 
So the Israelites hear this. All the Israelites flee in fear except for David. Listen to what David says. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And I know what you're thinking when you hear that. Come on, David, that's below the belt, man. I need to go there. The rest of you will get that later. But David says, what the heck is this guy doing? He's mocking our God. He's dishonoring our God and everybody's standing here. What's going on? You know what? I'll fight him. I'll do it. I'll take him on. And you hear the Israelites. They say, David, listen, he's nine foot nine. You're 15 years old, roughly at this point in your life. I don't, I don't know if we think this is a good idea. And David says, no, you don't understand. He is dishonoring our God. And so for most of us, we probably don't have situations. I'm getting attacked here by this microphone. Most of us don't have situations in our life where people are directly mocking or dishonoring our God. But you need to understand anytime we come into a contact with a situation in our lives where we or anyone else know exactly what it is that God's calling them to do and we disobey, to an extent, that's dishonoring God. And so you get the sense that David is saying, if this is the situation that we're in, I'll step up and I'll fight the giant. And then David's brothers come in and they even start to act indignant to him. Here's what they say to him. They said, David, why have you really come down here? Who did you leave your sheep with in the desert? And so that's kind of like a dig. You know, come on, David, you know you're just a shepherd. You're really not cut out for this. And that doesn't work. And so then they say to him, David, we know how conceited your heart is. You're doing this for your own glory. And so then they start to question his motives. And if you were here a couple of weeks back, this is very familiar to when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and they got them to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are kind of crashing in on them and their backs are against the wall. And the Israelites, whom Moses is trying to rescue, turn to him and say, were there not enough graves for us in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? It would have been better for us to serve as slaves in Egypt than to die in the desert. And in the same way, now David is saying, okay, if nobody wants to fight this battle, I'll do it. I'll step up. And now he's getting mocked by the Israelites and by his own brothers. And I tell you this because this is real life stuff. It's consistent in scripture and it happens in our lives. So I want you to know this. It's actually hard to step out in faith and to trust God for big things and not be questioned. It's just going to happen. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm a young leader. Okay, I'm 35 years old. But I believe that God has called me to bigger things than what I am on paper. I mean, there are days around here at Hope that I just know I'm way out of my league. And some of you are saying, no, we get that. It's a big deal. We understand. But I see all kinds of obstacles. I see people, uh, processes, a lack of knowledge on my part, pride in the lives of other people, and, of course, my own. But the temptation in those situations is to get caught up in the mess, to get caught up in the doubt, to question yourself, or maybe even think that you have to battle back and prove yourself. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning in life that if God is calling you to something, he's going to fight those battles for you. And you have to take a step for sure, and you have to move forward, and you have to trust in him to make it happen. But this might sound counterintuitive. The best thing that you can do in those situations is quietly press towards what it is that God's calling you towards. Just lean in and press forward. Yes, you do need to have people that you trust, and yes, you need to listen to constructive criticism. But you also need to remember what it says in chapter 16 of Samuel, verse 7. 
Man looks at the outward. God looks at our heart. If God's called you to something, he's going to fight those battles. He's going to see you through it. So David says, listen, I'm going after the giant. And so Saul, the king, does what any of us would do if we were the king. He said, if there's some 15-year-old guy that says he wants to fight this giant, I want to meet him. And so he calls him into his tent. And what happens when he gets in there is Saul does what any of us would do. He sees David. He says, David, I, I don't know if you're the guy for the job. And so I wanted to give you a visual to help you understand why Saul might have this reaction. And so I'm going to bring Goliath out here. Goliath, come on out here. <laughs> so this is... This is not Goliath. This is Jerry. You guys say, hi, Jerry. Hi, Jerry. How tall are you, Jerry? 6'9". Jerry's 6'9". So that means Goliath would be three feet taller than this. So I'm going to let him get on my back here. Don't get on my back. <laughs> Don't get on my back. So this is Jerry. Jerry and I used to bounce at some of the same clubs back in the day. And Christian. you can Christian clubs. Christian. Christian clubs. And you can understand people were more intimidated of him than me. And now let's bring out David. David, come on out here. Yes. So this is not... This is not David. This is Ryan Page. Say hi, Ryan. So Ryan works with our Kid City staff here at Raleigh, mostly with our elementary students, also serves uh, in Kid City Live. Ryan has a seminary degree from Asbury's brilliant thinker and has the heart of a pastor as much of any man that I know. Having said that, all those accolades, I don't like the matchup. I, just, I don't think it looks good. How many of you out here would take Ryan in this, this battle here? Show of hands. Yeah. Your mom doesn't count. So sorry. All right. Thank you guys for coming out. I just wanted to give you a quick look. So here's what happens. Saul says, David, I, I don't think you're the guy. David says, Saul, listen, respectfully, okay, I am a, um, I'm a shepherd, okay? And so what I do is I take care of my sheep. And I know that might not sound like much, but there are times where lions come in and take my sheep away. And bears come in and take a sheep, and I chase them down, and I grab them by the hair. And there are times where I have mauled a lion. And listen to what he says here in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So David says, listen, I got this thing. I fought bigger, and I fought badder. But on top of that, the Lord that's rescued me before will rescue me again. And you see, this kid, he's got a little bit of swagger. He's got some confidence to him. But I want you to see it's unavoidable. There's two reasons why. And one is because just of the experience and what he's seen happen in his life. So his talents and abilities and what he's been able to accomplish. And the second is what he's seen God do through him. And when you match those two things up, experience in life and talent and ability, and then in a confidence of what you've seen God do through you over time, that's a pretty solid combination. So I want you to understand there's a confidence that comes from following God over time. Have you ever met anybody like that? I mean, in life, they just had faith. They had story after story after story of how God showed up and they saw something big happen. And I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live my life. I want my kids to grow up and to, to take chances and, and lean into whatever it is that God's calling them to because they saw mom and dad model that for them in their life. And I'll tell you, it's a lot easier now for myself and for my wife than it was 10 years ago or five years ago or even two years ago because there have been those moments and we're in one right now where we don't have it all figured out but we have confidence and we have trust in the God who does. 
tells us in verse 40 that Saul eventually says, okay, David, if you want this thing, you can go get it. Go get it. And so he tries to give him his armor and he puts his armor on David and the armor is too big. And David says, no, listen, just get this stuff out of here. I'm going to do this my way. And so it says that David head starts heading down into the valley and he picks up five stones. Now, a lot of people ask, why did David pick up five stones? Is it because Goliath had four brothers? Did he think he would have to hit them multiple times? What's the deal here? And here's what I think. I think it's because David had a healthy dose of humility. Yes, he had confidence. He had ta- confidence in his talents and abilities. He'd killed a lion before, but he also knew he'd never faced a giant. So I think his attitude was, God, I think you've prepared me for this. I think I'm ready, but at the end of the day, if you don't show up, I'm going to be in trouble. So I think David had a tremendous amount of confidence, but his confidence ultimately wasn't in himself. It was in God. And and I'm going to say this to the young people in the room, and I say young people because I feel like I've, I've, I've been there before, but it's probably applicable to all of us. When it comes to your level of confidence, we have to constantly be checking our heart. Where's your confidence? Is it in yourself or is it in God? And if you want to know a way to answer that question, ask yourself this. When people oppose you, when you face opposition, do you find yourself getting angry? You take it personally? You want to get angry and raise your voice? Because if that's the case, your confidence is probably in yourself. Because if your confidence is in God and you know that it's his battle... It's going to be that much easier just to take a step back and say, I'm only doing what it is that God's called me to do, but this is God's battle to fight. Takes a level of humility. So we should have confidence. We should have humility. So now David is coming down with his confidence, with his humility. He's facing Goliath. And Goliath looks up and he sees a shepherd boy coming at him, carrying a staff in one hand and a sling in the other. And Goliath gets a little bit upset. He's a little bit insulted. And this is what he says in verse 43. He said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So Goliath gives David his best trash talk. And what David says back is not G-rated, okay? So if you've got some little ones in here, you might want to do the earmuffs thing here and just cover them up. But I know it's okay because you guys pay money to go see this stuff in the movies. Which, by the way, I'll tell you this. If you're going to pay money to go see that stuff in the movie, you can save money and just read the Bible because there are crazy stories in here. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff that you can read. But here's what David says back in verse 46. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals and to the whole world, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Hear that. The battle is the Lord's. It's not yours. It's not mine. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And so if we're going just on trash talk, what that's called is Goliath getting owned. Okay, David fires back, but we know the battles aren't won just on words. And so David reaches into his pouch, he pulls out a stone, and it says this in verse 49. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. The stone flew out like it had been shot out of a gun and hit the giant right in the head. And Goliath swayed back and forth and fell face down on the ground. 
You can just imagine the dust. Just And the Philistines panicked. He started freaking out, and David does what the Scripture said he was going to do. He leans over, and he takes the head of Goliath, and I, I don't really know why. Maybe he was going to take a selfie and send it back to his dad, Jesse, who asked for assurance that everything was okay. He's like, look, Dad, I got this thing. Everything's fine. You don't have to worry. But the Israelites, who for 40 days were over here shuddering in fear, now were shouting and praising God, and it said that they were chasing after the Philistines and wiping them out, all because one man stepped out in faith. He didn't listen to the critics. He didn't let fear make a decision for him. He trusted in his God. And I wonder if there are any men or women here this weekend who know that they are being called by God to take a step in their life. Maybe against all odds. Who would you bet on in this situation? Here's what we see. We see Goliath at nine foot nine, heavy armor, huge spear, guy out in front with the shield. No chance for David. Here's what God sees. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God sees his boy, right? He sees his child who he has prepared for this moment and who has experience for this moment. It says in Judges that these shepherds with these slings were as accurate within a hair's width. Not to mention he has higher ground. So from a battle standpoint, he's in an advantage there. So he sees all that. But more importantly than all that, he sees a child that has complete faith and trust in him. And so God looks at those odds and you ask him what he thinks. He says, all day, son, we got this thing. And I want you to understand this battle was not won the moment giant hit the ground. This battle was won the moment that David put his trust in God. The moment that David made a decision to put his trust in God, Goliath's fate was sealed. At that point, Tim Howard could not have saved him. So normally when you have to explain jokes, they're not as funny. So Tim Howard is the goalie for the USA World Cup team who had like 16 saves in one game, set a record. And so that's why that is funny. <laughs> Clearly, arguably. To the 10 of you who are soccer fans, you're very welcome. So getting back. The battle was won the moment that David put his trust in God. And this is what I want you to hear out of all this. This sums up the five-week series right here. Write this down. Trust is required to be a part of God's epic story. When it comes to following God, there are things in this book that you are going to be called to that do not make sense. There are things you will be called to in this book that do not sound safe. If you are following God, you will be called out of your comfort zone. This says that we should live a lifestyle of generosity. So what that means is this life and the money that we make, it's not just about putting in our bank accounts just to take care of our families and to build up. God is giving things to us and providing blessings for us in our lives so that we can then in turn turn around and offer it back to other people to be a blessing to the world around us. This book tells us that we should live selfless lives. And that there are people in our lives that are never going to serve us and will never meet a need for us in our lives. But we are called to be willing to lay down our lives for those people. Now you cannot do that. And you can live for your own story. But if you want to be a part of God's epic story, 
Trust is required. Now, this is where the story flips a little bit. This is where things kind of turn around. Every time that I've heard this story preached um, as a kid and even as an adult, I've always heard that you need to be like David. You need to stand up and you need to fight the giants in your life and you need to be the hero and we all want to be the hero. We love the hero. But let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. We're not like David all the time. We're not. We struggle just like Adam and Eve did in week one where we don't always trust that what we have in our lives right now is absolutely God's best. We don't trust that what it is that God calls us to is what's best for us in our lives. And the truth is we're not even always uniquely qualified to handle the situation that it is that God has allowed us to experience in our life. So in a lot of our stories, we're not David. And this is what I realized this week. We're Israel. And a lot of us, just like the Israelites, we're staring face to face at the same giant that we've been facing for years. And we're fearful and we're worried and we're making excuses. We're talking about our own inabilities. We're listening to other people and their conversations about our inabilities. And honestly, we're robbing ourselves of being a part of God's epic story. And if that's you, the worst thing I can tell you to do is charge down this hill and face this giant that you're not prepared to face. But if that's you, I want you to see David for who he is in this story. In this story, David was the savior of the Israelites. Not was because he put his trust in God. But David was the savior for the Israelites. But bigger than that, I want you to hear me say this. He is a picture of Jesus in your story. God's people needed a savior in the valley of Elah. But today, God's people need a savior in our own valley, facing our own giants every single day. And in the middle of our fear and our busyness and our lack of trust and our confusion, we have a savior who is more than uniquely qualified to offset anything that it is that comes against us in our life. And as David stepped out as the champion to face Goliath, and to win for the entire army of Israel, Jesus stepped down into the course of human history and said, you know what? They can't handle everything that it is that they need to handle. And so I will step down and I will fight this battle for them once and for all, overcoming sin and death so that they can have the new life that they were created for. And here's the deal. We go through life thinking that we have to overcome this stuff. And that we have to take this burden on ourselves and we have to work hard to change our lives. And to an extent, that's true. But to an extent, it's not. That would be true if this was your story and if you were the hero. But you're not. It's not your story. And that could, be, that could hurt you to hear a little bit, but it's not meant to be that way. It's meant to be freeing. Because ultimately, this is God's story. And he sent his son to do that which you could never do. To overcome these battles. And to give you strength through whatever it is that you find yourself in in this moment. And so if trust is required to be a part of God's epic story, this is ultimately where trust has to start. In trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. So this weekend, everybody here has two choices. The first option is this. You can be the main character in your own story. If that's what you want, you can do that. My first round of notes said you could be the main, story, the main character in your own lame story, but I took that out, made it a little bit more nice, palatable. 
The other choice is this. You can play a part in God's epic story. We want you to choose this weekend in the service which one it's going to be. Because the reality is if you don't, when Monday comes, you're going to choose. So if you don't choose in here, you are going to choose Monday whether you're thinking about it or not. And so we love you enough that we want you to make this decision while you're in here with us and while we're talking about it. So here's what we're doing. Um, Social media is a big deal right now. We get that. And so I want you to pull out your phones, whatever it is that you have, uh, a tablet, whatever it is that you use, log into Facebook, Twitter, if you don't have that stuff and you just want to text somebody. But we want to give you an opportunity to put a stake down in your life and to put a mark down. And this is what we want you to put up there. You'll see it here on the side screens. I choose to be the main character in my own story. If that's you, man, own that thing. Say, this is what I'm chasing after. And this is what I'm doing. And that's great. And I want you to do that because I think the harder and faster you chase after that, the faster you're going to realize that that's not what you were created for. But if that's you, there's no shame in that. Just get after that. Or I choose to play a part in God's epic story. We all have a choice. And so I'm going to give you a moment to do that, and then I'll wrap this thing up, because I'm sure that there's some people in here that say, Jason, thank you so much for this pie-in-the-sky story in Scripture. Okay, I appreciate that. It seems like you're very passionate about this story. But here's the deal, man. My, my life's never going to change. My relationship can't be healed. I can never do this job. I can never handle this situation. It's never going to get better. The truth is some of us are better at coming up with things that won't work or reasons why things won't work than we are at coming up with reasons how they can. And if that's you, I want to give you a minute just to kind of sit in that. And now I want to tell you, here's why we do that. We find ourselves in those situations for this reason. We spend too much time staring at the giant and we don't spend enough time staring at the Savior. That's what Israel did when their backs were to the wall at the Red Sea. That's what Israel did here. They stared at Goliath. That's what each and every one of us are tempted to do every day. You need to know that we are tempted to look at the giant and think about only what's humanly possible or logical for us in that moment. And if that is you, I want you to hear, you will never dare to do great things. You'll never know, like David did, the joy just of chasing after ridiculous odds, what it is that God has for you. You'll never know the exhilaration of staring down a giant, and I assure you that's what it is, is exhilaration and saying, I think I'm uniquely qualified to do this, God. I think that you've prepared me to do this, but if you haven't, I'm trusting that you're going to show up in this moment. And if that's you, you'll most likely never experience the feeling and the joy and the confidence and the hope that comes in watching that giant fall face down on the ground and you can step back and say, look at how God showed up. Church, I believe that God wants us to reach the triangle and change the world. That's our vision here at Hope. And I believe that God wants to use us to do that. Each and every one of us in this seat here this weekend. But it's about trusting in him whether that's in Jesus for the first time or it's because of every giant that you face every single day in your life. Facing giants is going to happen. And we're going to be outmatched from a human perspective.
That's why trust is required to be a part of God's epic story. I'm going to have you all bow. In a moment, the band's going to come out and um, they're going to play that song that we played earlier. And the words in the verse are this, greater is the one who's in us, greater is the one who calls our name. He will never fail. Stronger is the one within us. Stronger is the one who fights for us. He will never fail. And I want us to get to a point in our lives where we can trust in a God who loves us and who is good no matter the call, whether we understand it, whether it seems like it's safe. And that's my prayer. And so God, we ask you this morning that you would speak to our hearts. That you would help us to see the areas that you're calling us to step out and to join you in your epic story. And I ask that you would give us the faith and the trust that we need. And I pray that our lives, this church, this city, and our world would never be the same as a result of what you're doing in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reminded this week of a quote from C.S. Lewis in the story, The Chronicles of Narnia. And it's a children's story, but it's a fantastic story. Of course, there's a movie about it. I'm sure most of you have seen it. But Lucy is a little girl in the story. And she asks a question about Aslan the lion, who in that story is, is a Christ figure. And she's excited about meeting the lion. And this is the question that she asks. She says, is he safe? And listen to the response. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I care enough about you to tell you that that's, that's the heart of our God. We're not being called as his followers into things that make sense all the time or into safety even things that we can explain. But he is a good and loving God. And I assure you that following after him and whatever that call is for you and your life as it fits into his epic story is far greater than anything else that you'll ever find.